My name is John McCombs. It is good to see you. Uh, there are a few extra rows today, and I should have realized when I got here and taken those apart that you don't need any excuse to let Presbyterians and their friends sit further away. So how are you all way out there? Are we doing okay? There's one person within a stone's throw, and he had to be here. So uh, and that's it. But all right, so we got our kids back there. Of course, I mean, look at me. I sat in the back row myself, uh, so um, I can't really fault you for that. But uh, <clears throat> it's good to be with you. We're going to take a look at Psalm 13 tonight. Psalm uh, 13. The words are printed in your bulletin. It's a short psalm. It's another psalm by David. And I think there's a much for us uh, here tonight. Uh, as is our custom in the evening service, after I read the text, I will say, uh, this is the word of the Lord. If you can respond with, thanks be to God. So let's hear God's word now. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we do pray now that you would speak to our hearts. Father, we come here in various situations and circumstances in our lives right now, uh, many hurting, many broken, uh, broken, many needing to hear from you, many waiting to hear from you. And so, Lord, we trust that you would be pleased to speak to us now uh, by the power of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to Kennywood this Wednesday. Who has been to Kennywood this summer so far? Anyone? <clears throat> Raise your hand if you've ever been there. Let's see that. Who's ever been to Kennywood? Okay, there are a lot of like non-native Pittsburghers who uh, never go to Kennywood. And that's okay. We still love you. Um, uh, but so who's been there this summer so far? All right. Has anyone been there twice? Been there twice? Uh, three times? <laughs> Season pass holder here? With grandkids. Grandkids, plus it's cheaper to senior citizens. Grandkids, senior citizens. So there's lots of perks there. And you just, uh, it, uh, I don't know how you stay so thin, because I don't know anyone who can go there and stay away from the potato patch fries. But uh, we're going again this Wednesday. It'll be our second time. And I have to admit, last time I was just a little disappointed. All right, my John's in the back raising up his hands and shouting. He was disappointed because Thomas, the new Thomas the Train exhibit was not open. And I don't know what's going on with that skyrocket ride, but it hasn't been open like all summer, and nobody seems to know why. And of course, they took out the infamous log jammer. Um, uh, so there are plenty of reasons to be disappointed, but I gotta tell you, the biggest reason why I was disappointed was the lines were just so darn short. Right? I mean, I was going there hoping to wait in line all day long. I just love long lines. I really like waiting in long lines. I'm, I'm sure you're the same, right? I mean, as, as humans, we're all very patient, and so we just love waiting around for things. It's very good for us, right? And we recognize how good it is for us to wait for things, so we like to do it, right? We just can't wait to wait, right? We, we love waiting so much, we just can't wait 
to wait. Okay, no, that's not us, right? That's not who we are. We have a very difficult time waiting. We have a difficult time waiting for even the smallest things in life. There are a lot of people who are hurt, uh, hurting, broken, and they're waiting. Uh, They're waiting for some help. They're waiting for their situation to improve. And today in Psalm 13, we see David, uh, and he starts this text by asking in rapid succession that question, how long, O Lord? He asks the question we find in so many Psalms and in so many different parts of the Bible. Uh, We find this question in Psalm 4, 6, 13, 35, 62, 74, 79, 80, 82, 89, 90, 94, and of course, if the psalm's as long as 119, it's probably in there too, right? So you find this, in nearly 10% of the psalms, this question uh, before us today. Uh, I put a few of those in your additional scriptures, just so you can see how it's phrased. I think I put 6 and 74 and 90 and 119. I'm going to call this question today before us uh, the Christian adult version of, are we there yet? Right? Who's been on a road trip with little kids, right? Uh, and you hear that question again and again and again. Are we there yet? 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 Well, there's plenty of people asking, like, how long? How long till my day comes? How long till things get better? How long till I get my breakthrough? Right. But the way Christians ask that question is we ask it directed to the Lord. So we, we're not just asking how long in general. We're asking how long the Lord. Because we recognize who He is and that He's sovereign over all things, all of our circumstances. So it's the adult version of are we there yet, but it's no laughing matter. It's, this is a serious question. Um, the question, how long? The psalmist asks it here four times back to back, just in the first two verses alone. It's easy to see the psalmist, again, David, is feeling forgotten by God. It's easy to see that God's face feels hidden to him in verse 1, so to speak. David feels abandoned. He feels left to his own devices. In verse 2, we see that there is nothing that he can do except to take counsel in his own soul. To take counsel in his own heart, but even that is filled with sorrow. His own heart filled with sorrow is just a miserable comforter as Job's three friends were. And to top it all off, David's enemies are being exalted over him. We don't know the exact context of this song. We don't know who those enemies are and, and the, the, the details. But if you're familiar with the life of David, you know that he did have many enemies through most parts of his life. We don't know. We might say that David was having a bad day. You might say David was having a string of bad days. Perhaps David can't remember the last good day. Uh, and what I mean by good day there is the last day he felt God's presence warm his soul. Really, David just wants to know when it will end. When this drought of experiencing God will end. Not when his life will end. There are other psalms that deal with that where despair gets to that point. But here David is just asking, when will this drought of me not hearing from God and well, let me ask you, when was the last time you felt this way? When was the last time in your relationship with God, assuming you have one, that you, you felt this way? Perhaps you never have. 
And of course, that's cause to praise the Lord. Uh, that is cause for great rejoicing. And if, if you are a Christian and you've never felt this way, then you probably will have a hard time uh, imagining what this would feel like. Uh, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this day may come. Okay? Uh, this day when you're asking that question, how long, O oh Lord, because of your circumstances. So you may not have asked it yet, uh, but one day you might be. But most of us probably have asked this question, how long, O oh Lord? Some of us are asking it right now. We could be asking it for a variety of reasons. We could be feeling alone. We might be feeling abandoned. We could be struggling to feel God's presence. We might be spending time with the Lord in devotions, but they might feel lifeless. We might be praying to the Lord, but those prayers feel like they are bouncing off the ceiling. Believe it or not, you can feel alone in worship. You can be asking, how long, O Lord, in the midst of God's people, as you're worshiping in a crowd, but you can be feeling like everyone else here has experienced something or feeling something or being, is, is connected to God in a way that I just don't feel connected right now. You could be feeling this way for a variety of reasons. You could be feeling this way because of grief due to loss of a loved one. You could be feeling this way because of a, a serious physical illness. You could be feeling this way because you're struggling with some particular sin. You could be feeling this way and have no idea why you're feeling this way. You just know you're feeling this way. Now, yet those feelings are very real uh, and they won't go away. They seem to be the only thing keeping you company these days. They're sticking to you like glue. You may have asked how long so many times that you're ready to quit asking you just really don't want to ask anymore. You're not sure if you have the strength to ask anymore. From your vantage point, you might be stuck in a nightmare cosmic game of hide and seek. Uh, and God is hiding, and you are seeking, but he's just a little bit better than you at that game, and so you can't find him. It's a never-ending game. He's hiding, you're seeking, and to no avail. Your faith might feel like a flickering candle that could extinguish at any moment, never uh, to be rekindled. That's about where David appears to be when he asked how long, four times in a row to open this psalm. And this is King David, the man after God's own heart. And he's asking this question. He's asking it earnestly. Well, if you're like me, what do we expect David to do here? If you're thinking about yourself, you might expect him to give up. You might expect him to quit. You might expect him to throw in the towel. Does he do that? Interestingly, he does not. And he's asking, uh, and he's asking, he's asking, he's asking, he's hearing no answer. So what does he do? Well, this very God we see in verse 3, who has forgotten him, whose face is hidden, he petitions. Think about that. You haven't seen or felt the presence of God in ages and ages and ages and ages and ages. Is it a logical thing to ask him a question? <laughs> to say, God, come help me? Yet that's exactly what David does here. He asks the Lord in verse 3 to consider his condition and to answer his plea. David asks God to light up his eyes again. That is to revive his soul. 
to bring life where he feels on the brink of death. And David is very, uh, he's, he's of course making this appeal himself, uh, and that's obvious. But that's at one level. At another level, what allows David to persevere in the face of such difficulty? David's a king. You and I are not kings. But he's still human. He's not superhuman, and he's by no means a god. So how can he persevere and not give up? How can he just keep pushing on and asking these questions and asking God when he hears no answer? He's just a man, just as susceptible to discouragement, to sorrow, to grief as the rest of us. What keeps David asking against all odds is his faith. His faith that is a gift from God. His faith that if you've trusted in Christ alone for your salvation is the same faith that you have. You see, something in David that God has placed there is what causes him to ask God to intervene in spite of not having felt God's presence for quite some time. In the absence of faith, man often quits asking. Man is inclined to run elsewhere, uh, never to return unless God should intervene. But the man or woman with faith, no matter how abandoned they feel, know deep down that God will never leave them nor forsake them. No matter how much you feel like God has abandoned you or left you, you know deep down by faith that that's not the case. That God is with you. That He will never leave you nor forsake you. By faith we know our enemies cannot prevail over against us like David does here in verse 4. At least, not forever. By faith we know that Christ will get the victory. And if we are in Him, we too will be victorious. By faith, we know our future will be drastically different than our current dire circumstances. A person feeling terribly alone, yet crying out to God, by no means is evidence that they are not a Christian. I'm going to say that again. A person feeling terribly alone, yet crying out to God, is by no means an evidence that they are not a Christian. It's perhaps not even evidence that God has withdrawn from them, even just for a time. To the contrary, the person feeling this alone, yet continuing to cry out to God, is the strongest evidence that they are a Christian, and that God has not left you, and that in fact God might be drawing you nearer now than you have ever been before. Do you have this faith? If so, you must exercise it. You must put it to use. It is a gift given to you and it's not meant to be put on a shelf somewhere. When you get to the end of yourself, that is when your faith will kick in if it has not already. And it will not let you go. Because Christ will not let you go. So we look to the future in faith, right? To times when worries are behind us. We look to times when we'll feel God's presence again, when we'll be out of the valley and on the mountaintop, right? Well, we can do that. And it can be helpful. And faith will point our eyes there. But this psalm actually suggests otherwise. 
in verse 5, we see something has come over David. And I just love these psalms of lament. I love when you are seeing the absolute brokenness of a man, whether it be David or anyone else. And all of a sudden, the peace of God just invades and crashes in upon the scene. That's what we see here in verse 5. Something has come over David, and he's saying, I have trusted in your steadfast love, past tense. What gives David this peace is that he has trusted in God's steadfast love. And the focus is not so much on the fact that he has trusted, but on God's steadfast love. David has experienced that steadfast love for himself. Now you may not feel like you once did during a previous season of your life. Clearly David did not feel here like he did in previous seasons of his life. Today bitterness might seem far removed from that sweetness. The psalm here is actually suggesting that the key to going forward is actually going backwards. The key to going forward is going backwards. The key is meditating on God's steadfast, faithful love towards you in the past. Letting your heart rejoice in the great salvation that you have in Christ Jesus. If God has ever showed this love to you, then you can rejoice. If God has ever given this love to you, this hesed love, this undeserved love, this covenant love, this love that bursts on the scene in Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32, Moses is on the mountain. He's about to bring down the tablets. And what have they already done? They're already worshiping an idol. They've already broken the Ten Commandments, essentially before they even had them. Isn't that indicative of our plight as humans and our proclivity to sin and our brokenness before God? And what would you expect God to do? I mean, what would a husband do if on the night of his wedding, his bride-to-be cheated on him before they could consummate the marriage or vice versa? What would you expect to happen? Well, I think we all know what we would do in that circumstance, right? On the very wedding night, if you leave, and by the time you get to the reception, someone had a rendezvous with someone else, I think we know what we would probably all do. That is not God. That is not His covenant love. His covenant love is faithful beyond our circumstances, is not dependent upon our faithfulness. And if you have tasted that in the past, you will one day... Taste it again. Let your heart rejoice because of the great salvation that you have. If God has showed this love to you in the past, which you didn't deserve then and you do not deserve now, nor do I, you can sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with you. You have been given grace. And although it might feel right now like it's been taken away or taken away for a time, It most certainly has not. If you're God's adopted son or daughter, God could no more take his love away from you than he he could take it away from his very own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is teaching us all something very important here. 
Not just how to wait in general, although we all need help, but how to wait upon Him. How to wait upon the Lord. How to ask that question. How long, O Lord? And how to wait until He answers. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If you're in Christ, what awaits you will far outweigh any pain or suffering you're experiencing now. But this text encourages us to look backwards, to look to how we've experienced that in the past as the foretaste of what's to come. Our waiting will not be in vain. But of course, as the late Tom Petty said, waiting is the hardest part. You guys know that song? The waiting is the hardest part. Every day you get one more card. You take it by faith. You take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. The musicians, they always know the songs. That doesn't mean it's easy. The book of Lamentations, which is familiar with hardships and waiting, uh, says, and I put this in your additional scriptures, chapter 3, verses 25 through 26, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. When you look back on God's faithful covenant love to you in the past, you can say with resolve in the words of the prophet Micah, also in your additional scriptures from chapter 7, verse 7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. If you know his love, you know it's worth waiting for. Truth be told, though, you're actually not the only one waiting. We're not the only ones waiting. It's a great mystery, uh, and, and, I, and we don't often know why, but listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, also in your additional scriptures. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. As hard as it is for us to wait for the Lord, to wait for his mercy and his goodness to be poured, about, poured out upon us in, our, in its fullness, right? to wait for the new heavens and the new earth when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, uh, I, I'll submit to you, I think it's actually harder for someone else to wait. You know who else can't wait for this? Our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So eagerly awaits to be able to pour out His love and His mercy upon you in its fullness. So as we wait, He is waiting also. He's waiting because He's chosen to wait. And so we can choose to wait with him. He's waiting because he knows the proper time. He knows when things will be in their fullness. When we as the bride of Christ are ready to receive them. When people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language have been brought into his glorious bride. And so what are we to do but to be the bride that has made herself ready? To wait for him. To wait for that mercy and love in all its fullness. So let us wait for Christ's glorious return for us. At one level, what choice do we have? 
We can wait. But in the meantime, let us remember God's steadfast love towards us in the past. And let us rejoice in our salvation. Let's pray.